We're going through the book of Exodus. We've been in it for many weeks, and we're going to be in it for many more weeks, and we're spending a week going through each one of these 10 plagues. And so just to review, as we've been going through Exodus, they ha- um, well, before we review, let's pray. Calm down, Sean. Calm down. I know I'm excited. I've got to calm down. Jesus, Lord, I, I pray that every word I speak would only be what you want us to hear, and Lord, that your word, your Bible, um, would be the light to our path and would, would truly uh, show us a great and wonderful things today. Uh, God, I pray that you would blow our minds with what your spirit would do in our hearts. I pray we would just continually surrender every part of our lives, hold nothing back, and be uh, on fire for you, but not uh, by works, but Lord, you would implant fire in our hearts so that we hate everything that's not you and we love everything that's of you. And Lord, that we just are, are a new people, your people. And pray that we would not hold fast to anything in this world, but we'd, we would uh, cling to you, Jesus, harder and tighter, more dependent every day. Lord, I pray that you'd soften our hearts. Lord, there is still hardness in every single one of our hearts, in my heart, and we need a work of your Spirit to change that. And I pray, Jesus, that you would do this for your glory so you could create a people who are your bride in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing plagues. This is Plagues 102. 101 was last week when we studied the water being turned into blood. And that was a really cool study, so that'll be up today on the uh, website if you want to go listen to that one to catch up. Uh, but God is, has told his people, the Jewish people, that he is going to rescue them out of Egypt. And he is using Moses. He's called Moses. And that kind of catches you up to where we're at now. He's called Moses to lead the people. Moses has said, I can't do it. And God says, that's exactly what I, why I picked you is because you're weak and you know it. And because of that, you can be greatly used in my service. And so God has equipped Moses. He has enabled Moses by his grace to now go in and he can perform miracles and he can preach to Pharaoh and to the people. And that is what's going on now. But Moses has kind of done his job. He, he has explained to Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. Pharaoh has a hard heart and Pharaoh is God's enemy and he's the enemy of God's people. He represents who? Satan. Who said it? You get a prize, 50 Jesus points. Okay. <laughs> Satan represents, is represented by Pharaoh. Israel represents all of God's people like us. And Satan opposes us and our freedom in Christ. And so he is going to oppose at every step. And God, we are seeing now, is judging the world, all of Egypt, and Satan, the ruler of the world. God is doing these 10 plagues to show that he will deliver his people and he will judge the world for standing against him, for opposing him and his people. And I find that encouraging that God would go to, go to war for me because I don't deserve to have anyone fight for me. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and Jesus loves us so much. Amen? Amen. So now we get to the second plague. If, do you have the, the outline? Uh, okay, so if we were outlining this book, we would see the first ch- six chapters were the people's need for redemption. The 7 through 11 is the power of the Redeemer, and that's where we're at right now. We're seeing God's power to redeem his people, to bring them out 
of slavery. And this is where, where we are at right now. And very specifically, we are seven days after the first plague, the water being turned to blood, where uh, what they look towards, uh, what they trusted in, the water of the Nile River, God made it death. And then we looked at last week how God makes water into wine in the New Testament, how Jesus makes the same word to us. He makes it life. He gives us life where he gave them death. So that was an exciting study last week. But now we are seven days have passed since the Nile River has turned to blood. Seven days, listen, of opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord for Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. They had seven days to turn. They had seven days of very little water. It was very dry. Their tongues were clinging to the roof of their mouth. Seven days of silence from God. Just waiting there. Dealing with the consequences of rebelling against his will. Pharaoh and these people are just like, dry, it's quiet. What are they going to do? Life has been difficult for them over these past seven days. Nothing really brings joy like it did before when you're under judgment, God's judgment, right? Can anyone say, yes, when I rebel against God, nothing tastes right, nothing feels right. No matter what I do to try to get joy, it never lasts, right? You can smoke all the weed you want. You can watch anything you want on TV or the internet. You can, you can party hard as you want, and when you wake up, you're just as empty, if not more empty, than you were before. And you're, why does that happen? Because God is fighting against you. God loves you, but he will not let you enjoy that life. But I just want to have fun. Isn't that my right as an American? No. We're to honor God. And live for him. And anytime we don't, we bring ourselves under a plague, under judgment. That's what they're like, like right here. Okay, well, well, if God really loved Pharaoh, wouldn't he just end the judgment and let Pharaoh off the hook? Just allow him to keep living his own life, making his own decisions. Why can't God just let me live my life? I'm not bothering anyone. Pharaoh might say, he's not bothering anyone. But that's not true. Because Pharaoh is actually hurting other people, isn't he? He's enslaved the Jewish people. And people need to understand that God doesn't allow us to live those lives and be happy in them because we hurt other people when we live those lives. Also, number two, no, so number one, why God doesn't just let Pharaoh off the hook. Number one is Pharaoh is hurting other people. Number two, Pharaoh is rebelling against the perfect will of God. God is the ruler and king of the universe. He is not used to things rebelling against his rule. Not only is he the king, he's the right king. He should be king. He does everything right. He's perfect. He deserves praise. And yet, people rebel against God. And it's not right, just based on that. Number three, God also must judge sin. He's bound to judge evil as he sees fit. And trust me, you want him to. You might not think you want him to, 
Oh, it'd be great if God just let everybody off the hook. But then we think of Hitler, right? And he's always brought up in lots of sermons. Dana had a dream about him the other day. That was weird. But we, uh, um, Hitler, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Hitler is the reason why we want God to judge because we, nobody wants Hitler to get off the hook. Everyone says Hitler should be in hell, right? Oh, it's, it's right for Hitler to go to hell and burn for all the people that he killed. Everyone, nobody has a problem with that. You can talk to anyone on the street and they say that is just. Oh, but don't we deserve the same thing? And the answer is yes. We have all become lawbreakers, just like Hitler. And so we want God to judge sin. So here's the question. When did God judge your sin? When does God judge your sin? Right? On the cross. If you're a believer in here today, the most wonderful thing is, is that your sin has already been judged and it, was take, it took place on the cross. And that is such wonderful freedom for us because we, can't, we can say that we're free and that it's, uh, God has judged sin. He stayed righteous. He's judged our sin. He took care of it and he punished Jesus. And now we get to live in this freedom, loving God and being loved by God. Okay, and the fourth reason why God doesn't let Pharaoh off the hook is that God would bless his obedience if he would just obey. Discipline and punishment are tools in the hands of a loving God who wants to bless people. If, if Pharaoh would have said, okay, I, you know what, you're totally right. Why don't, you, why don't I come with you? Let's all go worship the Lord. God would have said, ha ha, yes, come on in, buddy. But no, he doesn't. And so we get to the next step in God's judgment. And this is frogs. The Egyptians actually worshipped a frog god named Heket. Heket. That's important to know. They worshipped this. It was like a human with a frog head. Looked horrendous, but that's what they, that was one of the gods that they worshipped. And a couple things you need to know before we get started. Frogs were considered unclean in the Bible. That means that they were evil or, or corrupted. And, uh, and so that's something we need to know. And the second thing is that frogs inflate various parts of their bodies. Did you know that? You know, usually it's right here. But some frogs inflate their butts. I learned that this week. Some frogs inflate their sides and their bellies. Other frogs inflate their... <laughs> anyway, they inflate various things, okay? And that is going to represent for us pride, inflating pride, okay? We're going to see that in a little while. So let's read our text here, and then we'll get into studying it. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, read along with me as I read. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring, up, bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and onto your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams and over the rivers 
and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments. So remember, we've seen this before, how the magicians could, uh, by their demonic powers, they could cause the same thing to happen. Uh, They also brought frogs up on the land of Egypt. They just added to the problem. They couldn't take it away, though. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord or ask the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Well, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow. Just let that sink in. We'll come back to that in a second. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died in all the houses, in all the courtyards, and out in the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Okay, so again, frogs were unclean. Even Egyptians thought frogs were gross. Okay, Even though they worshipped a frog god, they still thought that they were gross. Now we're going to look at, at all of the verses in the Bible that mention frogs today, uh, because there's only like four. And we're going to see a lesson develop for us that God uh, is going to share with us. So I want, again, remember, frogs are unclean. You've got to remember that. Now, in Psalm 78, verse 45, I'm going to read this verse to you. And it's recalling what happened in this plague to the Egyptians. And it says, he sent swarms of flies among them, we'll see that in a couple weeks, which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. Now the word destroyed in Hebrew, the language that this was written in, means to corrupt, to waste, or to spoil. That's what the word destroyed means. It means these frogs made everything dirty and they made everything gross. Okay? That's what is going on here. And I want to go back to our text when he said, Behold, I will smite your territory with frogs. So the river is going to bring forth frogs abundantly, and they're going to come into your house. Gross. Can you imagine if a frog was hopping across your, your living room? Ugh. That would be disgusting. And into your bedroom. Ugh, creepy. Just imagine frogs hopping all over your bedroom on your clothes as you're trying to pick out your clothes for the day. You put it up and there's frogs in your pockets. Gross. In your bed. So literally they had to sleep with frogs during this plague. When uh, Norm and I were in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, we were um, 
they, they weren't prepared for us, or I don't know. We had to sleep in a room that was just a concrete box. And no windows, just open to the air. And, um, and just concrete floors. And so we just were on the ground. And at night, it was very, very hot, but very loud because it was right next to this. And so I had my headphones on, um, trying to get some sleep. But there's bugs in the Dominican Republic, okay? And, um, and the spiders are huge. They're like this big. And we saw a couple spiders in our, in our room, but the spiders actually weren't the biggest problem because they didn't like to be around you. They would just run away, okay? But in the middle of the night one night, this is the most horrifying event that's ever happened in my life. I'm sleeping on my back, just, ugh, and a cockroach, like this big, <laughs> crawled across my stomach. And I was just like, ugh. I got up screaming. Norm got up thinking we were being killed by something. I don't know what you thought, but, oh, my gosh. Oh, we were, it was horrendous. It was horrifying. Oh, to have one cockroach crawl on you is, is just, I'd rather just die, you know. And so could you imagine having frogs just plopping all over you all night long, you know, their little tongue all over you and, and they're wiggling on you and licking you and ugh. Am I grossing you out yet? Okay, good, good. Okay, so on your bed, in your houses of your servants, on your people, they're just going to be all over you, he's saying. And now I want you to remember the verse we just read in Psalms where it said that they made everything gross. They, they made it a spoiler, corrupt. They got everywhere into their ovens so they couldn't even cook a pizza, you know, because there'd be frog guts on the pizza. Oh, gross. In their kneading bowls, so as they're making bread, squish, crunch, frog bones. Oh, just a miserable, a miserable. So before God messed with their water, now they can't eat anything in pleasure. They're just, it's all got frog bones in it. And oh, just this is a horrible, horrible plague. They got everywhere, these frogs infected or made it gross, everything. Nothing was safe. Nothing was clean. Frog guts and frog juice was everywhere. Hashtag frog guts for today. If you wanted a hashtag for today, that's our hashtag for today. Frog guts. And it was in the house. It was where they dwelled, where they live. What is God doing with this? Why is God doing this? God is bringing these frogs to show the Egyptians how corrupt sin has corrupted their lives, how sin has ruined their lives. And he's showing every area of their lives that has been corrupted from God's perspective. It's gross the way that they're living. And he just brings the frogs to help them see the life that they're living is gross. Their houses, where they live, where they dwell, God says, it's already gross. Let me show you how gross it is by these frogs. Their bedrooms, where they rest, their private life, their close relationships, those are gross and corrupted by sin, God is saying. You're rebelling against me, it ruins your home life, it ruins your bed life, even your, your bed, your most private, your safe place where you retire at night, that's ruined. And all the people, he says, are covered with frogs. That means all of your relationships are poisoned by sin and rebellion against me. This isn't just them not letting the people go. God is, is addressing every area of their life and says, when you refuse to surrender to me, 
it will ruin every part of your life. Every part. The ovens, the kneading bowls where you prepare food, where you nourish yourself. Frogs were everywhere, even on your clothes, he said. I just want you to imagine what that would be like. Now, another, the other psalm that mentions frogs is Psalm 105, verse 30. And in this psalm, again, it's a song remembering what happened at this point in history in Egypt. And it said, their land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. It says, even in the chambers of their kings. Kings are uh, royalty, or they speak of the leadership of the country of Egypt. Check this out. No one was immune to these frogs. Even the Pharaoh, even all the other leaders of the land, especially those who were in power, God is saying, those who were in high places, those who were the most prideful. Look at the king of Egypt again. And I want you to notice as we look at this, his pride. Okay? His pride. And the frogs, we're going to see, are a judgment on the pride of the king of Egypt. It said in our text in Exodus that Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and he said, entreat the Lord that he take away these frogs from me and my people. Pharaoh's had enough of them. And he said, and I will let the people go that they may go sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh's like, okay, you win, but I still don't want to talk to God. I don't want to talk to God. I have my own gods that I worship and I'm committed to them. I will not turn my back on my gods. And that's so much how the world is today. They are committed to their gods like, like weed or like drinking or like evolution or whatever their god is that they put their trust in. Popularity, power, control, uh, fame, whatever is their god. They are committed to it. And they want the plagues to leave. They want their life to be happy, but they refuse to talk to God themselves and come to God personally. They want someone else to do it for them. Okay, notice the pride in him. I, I'm not doing anything wrong. Your God's the one that's being a jerk to me. Your God is the one that is making my life miserable. So why don't you talk to him and make him stop for me? That's how Pharaoh is acting right here. I'm not going to talk to God. That's below me. I don't like your God. I have my own gods. They have frog heads. But these frogs are awful. And so I give in, kind of, sort of. Not really. I'm faking and I'm lying. But let's go with this. Is that real surrender? Is that true surrender? Of course not. Okay? But let's look what happens. So Moses said to Pharaoh... And I don't mo know if Moses is making fun of him or if Moses is just super, uh, like the Lord told him to say this or what, but he says, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you. He's saying, all right, Pharaoh, since you're so, um, since you know everything and since you got it going on and, and you want to be in control, why don't you tell me when I should intercede for you, for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. So Moses, you know, he, he hits the nail right on the head. He hits the bullseye. He says, Pharaoh, you like honor. You're prideful. 
So I'm going to show you how self-centered and prideful you are, dude. Accept the honor means, why don't you pick when I should pray for the people and for you? That's a real big job, bro. You get to pick. Accept the honor. And what does Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. Now, I've heard a lot of stupid things in my life. But this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Are you kidding me? You have the uh, honor of choosing when the frogs go away and you pick tomorrow? Why not yesterday? Why not right now? What do you mean ask me? Why, why is Pharaoh doing this? Well, Moses has done an amazing job of drawing out from Pharaoh his pride, showing Pharaoh how incredibly prideful he is. Yes, Pharaoh's thinking, I'm so angry that I need to even ask God for, to remove this. You know what? I might be able to figure out a way to do this myself in one more night. You know what? I have it in me. I am a god after all. That's what they thought, right? Pharaoh thought he was a god. He is so prideful, even when God is showing him in this great power and then offering him mercy, saying, I'll take it away, he still is like, no, I want one more night with the frogs. I love when they're in bed with me. No, he didn't love it, but he's being so arrogant and prideful. By what? By refusing God's grace, God's help, God's mercy is incredibly arrogant and prideful. I'm losing my reputation here. I'm not able to get rid of these plagues. You're showing me up. He doesn't care that he's wrong. He just cares that he doesn't have the people's respect as a god like he used to have. They used to think he was all-powerful, omnipotent. And now his own people are saying, why can't you get rid of these? Is the God of Israel, more powerful than you. And Pharaoh's pride is so wounded that he's like, you know what? You're making me look bad and I'm going to figure out a solution. I'm going to figure out how to get rid of these frogs. And this is the definition of pride. I'm going to try to fit, save myself. I don't need your help, God. I'm going to try to save myself. If I just have enough time, I can get it right. I don't need your help. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can give more effort next time. I can get myself out of this jam I'm in. Guys, when God's hand is upon you and against you, there is no winning. There is no winning. When we harbor rebellion and we're like, I'm not going to give that up. I am not going to give that up. God says, that is dumb. You will not win fighting against me. Why do you want to? I am offering you grace. I am offering you mercy. Please don't go this route. But pride deceives us. Pride makes us think, yeah, you got it, bro. And our schools have taught us as we grow up and the music we listen to and everything around us is telling us, you got it and and God is like, no, you don't. Repent and turn to me. Pride says tomorrow. 
This is awesome, okay? Why does Pharaoh say tomorrow? Because of pride. This is great. Pride says tomorrow, but the Holy Spirit says today. Look at Hebrews 3, verses 7 and 8. This is going to bless your heart so much. You're going to leave here today and you're going to be like, today, Lord, not tomorrow. I don't want one more night with the frogs. I don't want to live one more day, one more minute in rebellion against you. I want to know your grace and mercy today. Look at what Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 8 says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Why spend one more night with the frogs? Why? Because of a hard heart of pride, the self-sufficient attitude. I don't need God. I don't need God's help. I don't need God's mercy. I don't need God's grace. Pride is hardness of heart. Proverbs 16, 18, you guys know this. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride sounds like ribbit. Ribbit. <laughs> and you guys can use this with your friends, with your neighbors, with your brothers in the Lord. And when they start to get prideful, when they don't want to come to prayer because they think, I don't need that, I'm doing okay, you just come alongside them, you whisper in their ear, ribbit, ribbit. Hey, are you getting prideful? Are you getting prideful? You think you can live this life without the Holy Spirit, without God? Bro, you're going to fall. That's, that's what leads to a fall, pride, rejecting God's help. I don't need God's help, ribbit. But we know James 4, 6 says that he gives more grace because he says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Do you want God smacking you in the face, opposing you? Of course not, but that's what we get when we're prideful. If you humble yourself before God and you confess your weakness, your, your wrong, your sin, you confess your hard heart, you confess even your lack of wanting to do what's right, what will God do when you bring him that humility? He will give what? Grace. Grace is his only response when someone says, I'm an idiot. Thank you, God says. She liked that. She's like, amen, you're an idiot. <laughs> when you ask for grace, when you call upon the Lord, confessing your brokenness, his heavenly response is grace. When you turn your back on all your strength, on all your wisdom, and instead you trust only gifts from Jesus... We're told exactly how that goes in the Bible. It's called grace. Another verse we can look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. It says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes, 
For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. I'm asking, what answer will you get when you confess your sin to God and when you ask for his grace and his mercy? If Pharaoh would have confessed his wrong and repented to the Lord today as Moses was asking him to, what would the response have been? Yes and amen. The answer to every child that cries out a promise of God to God is, yes, God, you promised you would save me. What's the answer? Yes. And amen. So be it, is what that means. It's done. God cannot withhold an answer when you call out a promise to him. Do you ever feel like your prayers just don't make it all the way? That's a common thing that, that children of God struggle with, but they, should, they don't have to. When you pray, pray promises of God. God, you promised this. You promised grace to the humble, so you know what? I humble myself in your presence. I get on my knees before you, and I pray. I confess that I can't do anything. I call upon you to now give me grace, because that's your word, not mine. I'm not prideful saying, but I'm confident that you will not lie. That's how it works calling upon God's promises. The Bible says God honors his word more than his name. And his name is wonderful and glorious, but he says, I value my word, I honor my word more than my name. Even if you forget who my, what my name is, I'll still keep my promises to you, he says. You can depend on my word. If, if his word to us is yes and amen... Our word to him is today, Jesus. Today, Jesus. The answer we already have. He's already said, you call upon me? The answer is yes and amen. If Pharaoh would have called upon him, the answer would have been yes and amen. In fact, to the the tomorrow that Pharaoh called, the answer was yes, and God took away the frogs, right? But yes is the answer today, God's word has already been given. Deliverance has already promised. Redemption has been won. Salvation is all in Jesus, already offered and given to you on a silver platter. And it's all in Jesus. So we read his word, and then we respond back and call to him in faith. He says, "I've, I've saved you today. So call upon me today, and the answer will come today. I believe you have forgiven me, and now I have it today. I believe you have supplied me with what I need to forgive this person and that person. Today, you have it. I believe you will enable me to love my wife, to love my kids, my spouse, the way I should, and you have it. I believe I don't really need you to stay pure in that area, and oh, you don't have it then. Oh, you, you think you can do that area of your life on your own? Well, then I guess you don't need me today, do you? See, today keeps us safe. When we call upon him today and when we expect him to fulfill his promises today, it keeps us safe from hurting others, from living impure lives. He promised us to supply what you need today to deliver you today. That's the promise of his spirit we just read. 
His Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What brings a hard heart? Pride. We already studied that, right? So humility says today, pride says tomorrow. Pharaoh is a picture of this prideful heart that we can have. Moses said, fine, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there's no Lord but except our God. So the word of Pharaoh is contrasted with what we have in Jesus today. When we say, I don't need it now, I'm watching TV today. That's what I need today. I need my work today. That's what I need today. I'm fine. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm a fighter. You hear that? Out in this world? All the time. And all these are attitudes of pride. All of them are self-sufficient attitudes. All of them are in direct rebellion against the work and the gift that Jesus is offering. No, you're not fine. None of you are fine. We're not fine One day and we can ruin our lives. One moment and we can make horrible mistakes if we're not abiding in Christ. And it does not honor God when you try to do what's right in your own power. I think that's a real huge misconception in the church today. Is that, hey, you give God your best and he's just like, all right, two thumbs up for you. No, your best does not measure up to God's standards. No one's. I don't care how hard you try, it never measures up. I was reading a psalm the other day, and it said, all our righteousnesses as filthy rags before the Lord. All your righteousness, that means your good works, everything you try to do is like filthy rags. He looks at him, he's just like, ew, that was the best you had? That really is the best you could give me? Gross. But yet he gives us the righteousness of Christ by faith. So now we, we serve the Lord. We're not earning anything. But when he looks at it, he sees Jesus doing it. And he's like, yeah, that's awesome. Because Jesus does do what's right. He did do what's right. And he offers us his life in exchange for ours. When we try to do what's right in our own power, it rejects God's perfect way of grace through faith in Jesus. When we say, oh, no, no, it's, it's super important for you to do what God says in the Ten Commandments. It is. I'm, t- I'm not saying it's not. But it, that's the way that you can tell if, if, uh, if you're right with God, if you're going to heaven, is because of those Ten Commandments. And if you tried hard enough to keep them, then you can know that you're going to heaven. And that is wrong because it rejects what Jesus gives. It's saying, tomorrow I'll need you, Jesus, not today. Saying today is a humble place where you constantly say, I need you, Lord, today. I need your salvation today. And I need you even to produce the good works that I should live. Because we all should keep the Ten Commandments. But we can't. But we should. But we can't. But that's confusing. So how do I do it? Well, only by Jesus coming into you today by his Holy Spirit can you actually do those Ten Commandments. Then it's written on your heart. Then it's a work of the Spirit. And then it's not hard. You're just doing what's in your heart. And you don't need the external list of ten rules 
because you just do everything that's in your heart and you're loving people and you're sacrificing for people and you're giving to people and it's a work of the Spirit and it's not works of the law or the flesh. Waiting upon the Lord to supply spiritual resources through living trust in His Son is what this is all about. That's the way God does things. That is His way that he has established, I will be gracious, I will be merciful if you have a humble heart and ask me. But you have to ask me. The Jews for thousands of years tried to do it by trying harder and trying harder and trying harder. And you know how much they asked God for his grace? None. I mean, not all of them. There was always a remnant and good ones, but it doesn't work. And so God established a new way that does work, which is just us trusting in the Lord and abiding in him. All right, back in our text. Hashtag frog guts. The frog shall depart from you, from your houses and from your servants and from your people, and they shall remain in the river only. So Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the words of Moses. And the frogs died out in all the houses and out in the courtyards and out in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and, the, heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. And the lesson for us is that the end of self-efforts, like pride, the end of self-efforts is piles of frog guts. You're like, you talk about self-efforts all the time. You talk about self-sourced life all the time. Why do you talk about it all the time? Because I don't want you guys to be out there smelling like frog guts. That's the end. It stinks. The life that is committed, I am going to do what's right and I am going to do it. I'm going to try so hard. Those people end up being just nauseating to the rest of us because they're miserable and they want you to be miserable too. They're having to, they're just angry about giving up all the things that they really wish they could do. And so they want you to be uncomfortable and happy as well. But when we follow Christ, actually follow him, when we trust him and receive his life, then following him is not a burden, it's a joy. It's a joy for us to give. It's a joy for us to surrender and, and to give our lives for the Lord and serve the, his people. It's awesome the way it works like that. Self-efforts end up smelling like frog guts. Corrupted, dead piles of pride. Wow. So, I'm going to review for one second. We've learned two things about frogs in Egypt in this plague, okay? Number one, Frogs were unclean and gross, and they corrupted everything they touched. Frog guts. Number two, that they represent pride, self. I don't need you today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Now, if you guys want to turn to Book of Revelation, we're going to see the last place frogs are mentioned in the Bible. And this one is, is deep. So are you guys ready to go deep? All right, you... You don't come here for shallow Bible study, do you? You come here to go deep, and we're going to go deep today. We're going to see how this applies to what we're talking about. Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. 
And make no doubt about it, when John was writing the book of Revelation, he wanted you to know about this plague of frogs as he was writing what we're going to read about here. Sometime in the future, we see this event happen. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up so that the way of the kings, that brings us back to what? The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs. Well, we've seen signs in Egypt, haven't we? Which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. We saw garments mentioned in the plague of the frogs, didn't we? That their garments were even defiled with the frogs all over them. He says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together into the place that is called in Hebrew, Armageddon. You guys have heard of Armageddon? Great movie with Bruce Willis, right? No. (laughs) We're going to find out a little bit about Armageddon today. The kings of the earth, it says, were deceived and led into a rebellion against God. That's what happens in the book of Revelation. The kings are deceived and led into a rebellion against, the, against God. But in Egypt, we saw the king of Egypt was deceived by his pride, and he is led in rebellion against God. Same thing. We see the garments defiled in the book of Revelation. Jesus is saying, watch and trust me so your garments aren't defiled. And we saw frogs defiled all the garments of the Egyptians, corrupting them all. We see frogs in this are, the, are representative of spirits of demons. Frogs represent demonic pride. I hope none of you have pet frogs. <gasps> we have pet frogs. Oh my gosh, I just realized that. We have two pr- frogs. They live in water though, so they're not like real frogs. I don't know. Frogs represent demonic pride. Because Satan, the prince of demons, he fell by pride. You remember those verses in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel? That's his whole deal is pride. He loves himself. And he hates God and God's gifts and what God, that you have to depend on God. He just hates that. And so these evil spirits perform signs. They're able to do miraculous things to trick people, to convince people that pride is the way to go. They have signs. Just like we have commercials that convince us that pride is the way to go. As you watch TV, as you're listening to the radio, constant boosting of pride. You can do it. You don't need God. You don't need anybody but you. That is satanic, period. These spirits, it says, gather all these prideful kings and all the prideful world, it says, to a place called Armageddon. All right? So what does Armageddon mean? Well, in Greek, har means hill or mountain. And Megiddo is a city in Israel. 
and doesn't really have a meaning. It's like Denver. It's just the name of a city. But as we look at what happened at Megiddo, there's some things pop out at us from the Bible, namely that there were two great slaughters of God's enemies in Megiddo. Great slaughters. And one other event that we're going to talk about right now. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, is where we're going to go right now. Zechariah 12, 10, and 11. And this was written a few hundred years before Jesus came, but it's talking about Jesus. That means it's a messianic prophecy about the Messiah. Okay, and God says this. He says in Zechariah 12, 10, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Who do you think that's talking about? Jesus, right? And and yes, they will mourn for him, for Jesus, as one who mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one who grieves a firstborn. So there's this mourning and sadness when they recognize Jesus, okay? And in that day, it says, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Ramon. Well, there's a weird word. In the plain of Megiddo. In the plain of Megiddo. That's interesting. What is it talking about? What happened on the day of of mourning of Hadad Ramon? Well, that was when the king Joash was killed by Pharaoh. So several hundred years after they get into the land of Israel, after the whole all the stuff we're talking about in in uh, Egypt. There was a really good king named Joash. He was a great king. He honored God. He loved God. He was a wonderful king. And he was killed by Pharaoh. And when he was killed, the whole country of Israel mourned greatly. They were very sad. It kind of like is when you know, John F. Kennedy was killed or Abraham Lincoln was killed. They, the, our country experienced these great mourning times. And it's kind of like on that level. But our verse here says that this event of the Jews turning and recognizing Jesus and repenting and humbling themselves before is by a work of the spirit of grace, he says. God is going to pour out a spirit of grace, he says, and and of supplication, which means humble prayer. They're going to look on Jesus and they're going to, instead of being prideful like Pharaoh... They're going to mourn and they're going to be like, I'm sorry for how I've been living my life. I'm sorry I've rejected you so long. I'm so upset and and I'm broken about how I've lived my life. That's what Megiddo speaks of in the Bible. And so now we plug that back in. It's a couple great slaughters had there and then this king who was killed and he foreshadows the dying of Jesus. And in Revelation, Jesus, the king, he's not dead anymore. He comes back and he slaughters his enemies at the same location in Megiddo. What does all that mean? It means that there's two responses to the king, Jesus, by all who see him. Number one, there's demonic pride. Or number two, there's a humble response to him as king. That's it. How do you respond to Jesus when he wakes you up every morning and says, hey, I'm the king. 
of your life? Do you say, <laughs> no, I get to decide what I'm doing today. It's Saturday. Or it's Monday or whatever day it is. It's my day. Do you respond in demonic pride or do you respond in humble brokenness saying, oh, yes, you are my king. Yes, you deserve glory. Yes, you are everything. And I will not speak a word until I've spoken to you and listened to you and gotten my instructions for the day. Does that make sense? Jesus says in Revelation, in our verses, he said, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Pharaoh had a chance to get his garments clean, but he said, Tomorrow! And the Jews, as a people, they have generally rejected Jesus and said, Maybe we'll see him tomorrow. But they don't say today. Today, what they say is, we will not have this man rule over us, right? They said that on the day he was crucified, and they've said it every day since, but so have I. So many days I live saying, I will not have this man rule over me. And we look at the Jews and we're like, you guys... Come on, how hard are your hearts that you see him being crucified for you and you won't submit to him? And then I go live my life the way I want to without submitting to him in 2017 in Denver. We have such hard hearts, guys. We do. Because we don't say, today, he will rule over me. No. Tomorrow. Maybe I'll live my best life tomorrow. Maybe I'll discover what God has for me tomorrow. But today, I'm just too tired. Today, I got too much going on. Today, I can't afford to fall on my knees and surrender my life to him. Fine. Live one more night with the frogs. Really? That's what you want? We have a promise, guys, of today that the spirit of grace and supplication is in this room today. He says, I will pour it out. Who wants it? Today, we call out to the Lord in humility and brokenness. Amen? Are you saying today or are you saying tomorrow? Jesus is coming to be the judge and, and, and of the pride of this world. He's going to judge pride. And it corrupts every heart that harbors it. It corrupts all areas of our life. But he's coming like a thief, he said. Are you ready? Are you in pure white clothes because you've said today? I surrender to you today? Or if you're not, are you not sure? Then are you willing to call out to him in faith and full surrender, saying, yes, today? He's still the pierced one. He's still the one with pierced hands and feet. And he's still calling out, saying, today, are you going to honor me as your king or not? And if you have pride, then I'm going to give you the secret of how to destroy it today. If you're like, I, I'm just, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm so prideful, what, what can I do about that? Here's the secret. Set your eyes on the pierced one. Look at his pierced hands, his pierced feet, his head that was pierced by those thorns, and let your heart look long at his body hanging there, his holy body 
body pierced. That was a little pun. It was pretty good, but it was also good, glorious. Let your imagination feel the splitting anger of the nails ripping through his flesh, knowing that he was totally innocent and you were the guilty one. Let that do work in your soul. Let your flesh and sin be nailed there to his cross by faith. This is the only way to deal with pride. The frogs die. And that's how we must deal with our pride. So why wait? Let's call upon him now. Would you guys stand with me? Go ahead and come on up. We're going to sing the last song. And so we don't, you know, do anything crazy or make you do jumping jocks or sign a form saying you're never going to sin again. Um, but... My heart is stirred and moved to just say, let's call upon the Lord. Why wait for tomorrow? We could humble ourselves today and say, I'm done with all rebellion. I want to surrender every part of my life to you. Father, we just, uh, we need so much to be made new by your spirit. We need a new life. We need your life, Jesus, given to us granted to us. Uh, we need that grace. We can't earn it, Lord. We can't um, do anything magical to turn your will. But we want that spirit of grace and supplication to be poured into us, all over us today. Instead of the frogs of pride and corruption. We want to be cleansed by clean waters that come from your throne of grace. Lord, we repent of being the boss of our own lives. We repent of not clinging to you like we should every day. We've lived horribly selfish lives, all of us. No matter how much we've given, no matter how close we are we are our righteousness is as filthy rags before you and father i pray that you would fill us now with such joy in knowing that we are washed clean by a pure gift from your son and that we are filled now with love and grace uh, and that is a pure gift from you we can't do anything but we can trust you and we call upon your word and Lord, I just pray for everyone in here, Lord, that there would be full surrender in all our hearts. Lord, that we would never hold areas back and say, this is mine, I don't need you, I don't want your spirit to look in that room and to, to see what I got going on over here. But Lord, I pray we would open everything to you, we'd give all to you, you are our king. And Lord, we live for you alone, Jesus. Please change our, our hard hearts into soft hearts today by your spirit, Jesus, we pray. Amen.